Blog Talk Radio. Please enjoy this best of Squatch Detective Radio from November 29th, 2012. We have our guest, Kathy Strain. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the longest running Bigfoot podcast on Blog Talk Radio. The original Squatch Detective Radio featuring your host, Steve Coles and Chris Bennett. Three decades of Bigfoot research, two decades of Bigfoot radio. Here we go. 911, what are you reporting? Uh, we got someone or something crawling around out here. And then this thing walks across the road, takes a turn towards us, and then leaps over a guardrail. Uh, all I can remember is flipping the light on, and I see this creature, and I knew, I knew in my heart, I knew in my mind, in the whole night, this isn't a man. And the whole time, the whole thing was shadowing us, right behind us, right on the side of us. You could, you could kind of see the thing moving through the woods. There are thousands of perfect people whose word would be good on any other subject who describe getting a good look at an enormous hair-covered upright animal, and that is a fact. Thursday, November 29, 2012, I'm your host, your guide, the Squatch Detective, Steve Coles, along with, well, Mr. Chris Bennett. Good morning, Chris. <laughs> ah, Good evening, good afternoon. How are you doing, Steve? I am just wonderful, and welcome to Thursdays, and I'm glad to see yeah. that the folks in the chat room did get the memo. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I'm glad uh, we started uh, tonight rather than on Thanksgiving because uh, I don't think I could. On Thanksgiving, as a rule, I don't usually open my mouth unless I'm putting food in. (laughs) Yeah, you wouldn't have been able to get me behind the desk close enough to the mic. (laughs) Just rolling in. Well, uh, we, we have a great show lined up for our first Thursday in a row. Awesome. And uh, we, of course, we have Kathy Strain on tonight with us, and she is in, well, we don't have a green room here, so she's in the wings, uh, just waiting around. And, uh, boy, have we had uh, quite the uh, news week, haven't we? Oh, man, it's been busy. Uh, You've been busy. You've been busy. (laughs) Ah, yeah, yeah, actually, I I, I have. And, uh, you know, since uh, I think our show was on, our last show was on November... The last Sunday we did was uh, the, I want to say it was around November 15th, somewhere in there. I don't know. I I can't think back that far. 14th, yeah, 13th, somewhere in there. Um, Yeah, I know somebody in the chat room will tell us. But, but, uh, you know, since then, uh, it it seems like the Bigfoot world has been turned upside down. Oh, yeah. uh, Not only on a a national level, uh, on a global level, and uh, even to make matters even more interesting, uh, even on a local level for me, because uh, you know fi- uh, they had the uh, Finding Bigfoot with the trail cam video um, yeah. or trail cam picture rather yeah, on the it, Vermont Vermont pick, yeah. which aired on the 18th, I believe, and since then, uh, you know Frank is being deluged with news people, and uh, you know so he. <laughs> so now everything on on uh, my alerts are saying, you know, Vermont Trail Cam, Vermont Trail Cam, and then of course on the twenty fourth we had the the statement, not the results, not the proof, not the evidence is in, just a statement saying what 
this purported evidence may be. Right. Of, co- of course, we we'll, we will probably talk a little but, bit more in this. You know, yeah, that's the thing, Steve. I, I think that may have been released because of uh, uh, the Finding Bigfoot's uh, turning over their DNA evidence or well, trying they, to collect uh, DNA evidence. They're, well, uh, according to the uh, Dr. Ketchum camp, uh, right. they released that statement because Dr. Igor Burtsev over in Russia released a statement to the, the press um, kind of uh, stealing a little bit of the thunder, I think, from uh, Dr. Ketchum. But, um, you know, the, well, the, the interesting that's the thing. thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry, man, but that's the thing about this. I... I absolutely worship Dr. Melba Ketchum for what she's doing, what she's trying to do, and all the work she has put in on this. But I am scared to death for her at the same time because if it's a race, uh, she's going to end up coming in second place if we don't see something come out pretty quick because I got a feeling that this other lab is going to try to push DNA results through. And if they release them first, I would hate to see that happen because Dr. Ketchum has worked for it, and she deserves the recognition. But you don't hardly, well, hardly ever remember who came in second place. Well, that, that's that that could be, and that could be why the statement was issued too. So you know, there's a number of internet conspiracy theories out there. Yeah, yeah. And I will just say it is what it is. The statements out yeah. there, according to her, because of Burtsev, I think partially that you know Stubstead, uh, Richard Stubstead, the late Richard Stubstead, actually said a lot of what Dr. Burtsev has stated. But I think that maybe they felt a little bit of panic because, uh, you know, of, uh, you know, Bertsev being a doctor. So I don't know. Um, that's not really oh. the, the point is moot because the statement is out and it is a statement. Right. Yeah. And uh, for all those who haven't seen my blog, I call it the rush to judgment. Uh, you might want to read that blog because there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff on there uh, that's pro and, and, and con. And uh, I, I'm not. You know, and it's kind of set this firestorm up whether or not, you know, well, you know, is Bigfoot half human or is it not? Well, you know, in in my mind, in my mind, until we see the results, until we get the labs' names, until we get the 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 folks that were involved in the study, according to the study, there was like three or four different scientists involved. Until we get all that, the peer review, the publication, and the official report, we really have got nothing to talk about. About but speculation. And well, yeah, that's the thing. I've always said that if it comes out that uh that B, uh, D- Bigfoot DNA is like a hybrid between a human and something else, that would be difficult for me to accept because the the rascal I saw didn't look at like a human whatsoever. Well, you know, he, you know, he he more or less favored the uh a mountain gorilla from uh the Congo or, or wherever. Well, you know, uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, it's funny. A guy from Kentucky oh. talking about hybridization. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, my singer for the night. Uh, there you get one in. Well, come on, let's bring let's bring yeah, Kathy let's on. Get Kathy on. And good evening to you, Kathy. How are you tonight? I'm doing well, thank you. And uh, I know we're probably louder than most shows you're on. That's just me and Chris. We kind of. Uh, Yep. Or, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Behave yourself, Bennett. Yep. Um, anyway, Kathy, uh, it's good to have you back on. And, uh, you know, th- there's so much to talk about tonight, I oh, think. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Chris, since I, I promised this to Chris in the in the, uh, the little pre-show, Chris, I'll let you kick it yes. off with, with your, your the question you've been wanting to ask. Well, but I, 
That's very courteous and kind of you. Thank you, Mr. Coles. Thank you. Uh, I can be courteous at times. <laughs> Kathy, I, I would like to know, how did you get started or what got you started in in, in this field, in the, in the Bigfoot research area? Well, um, probably my greatest influence was when I was a little girl, I saw Legend of Boggy Creek, and, um, you know, it just was very intriguing. And, of course, I thought it was a real story about uh, uh, this Bigfoot creature. And so I had asked my teacher at school, you know, how do I become somebody who studies Bigfoot? And she said, well, you probably have to go in the anthrop- in, into anthropology. And so that was just kind of started to spark in me that I wanted to, to go into anthropology professionally. And, of course, you know, I figured it out pretty quick that, you know, the rest of the world didn't didn't view Bigfoot as being a scientific um, reality. And mm-hmm. so I was already hooked into anthropology uh, by then. So I just continued on my career and uh, got a bachelor's and master's degree in anthropology. And then I was also heavily influenced by... Um, the tribe that lives, I was born and raised in Porterville, California, and the mm-hmm. local tribe there are the Thule, Indian, um, Thule Indians, or prehistorically known as the Yokuts. And they have um, some very strong beliefs in Bigfoot, including a hairy man pictograph uh, that I saw, I think I was in high school when I got a chance to see that. And wow. so it kind of all merged together that I could study Bigfoot from a different angle professionally by uh, talking to Native people about what their beliefs were. And so um, it just kind of set me on that path. I didn't really start studying modern sightings or talk to witnesses until around 1999, I believe. could have been 98, Mm -hmm. but I think it's 1999, when I kind of figured out the Internet existed because I was, you know, always working and in the field right. and stuff. So I didn't have a lot of time, and and I discovered the BFRO and and that there were other people out there that had an interest like I did, and so I just kind of jumped in head first and been involved since then. Right. Wow. Well, for uh, for for anybody that our listeners that don't know, I know, I know you spent a lot of time studying uh, the hairy man uh, picto, and uh, could you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, uh, what is it? And uh, oh, sure. and what what, is, what do you think it represents? Sure, and, and this will some of your listeners will find this interesting. I believe it's going to be featured in the Finding Bigfoot episode next uh, Sunday. So they oh, got cool. permission to get to go there and visit yeah. it, and that's pretty rare. And it was really funny because somebody said I was the last white person, quote unquote, that was allowed to ever visit those pictographs. And so you know, right. I guess fame gets you access anyway. Um, but what it is, it is a um, uh, pictograph. There's two kinds of rock art. Pictographs are the painted kind. Petroglyphs are pecked into the rock. And this mm-hmm. is a cave, really a rock shelter because a cave, you know, has to have certain qualities to it. But uh-huh. it is um, the interior of this rock shelter is just covered with pictographs. And uh-huh. one side of uh, the rock is has the hairy man family there's a male bigfoot that is eight feet tall and six feet wide and he's got his arms outstretched and then uh, a little further down is the female bigfoot she's six foot by four and a baby bigfoot which is four by two and uh plus there's you know coyotes eating the moon there's people lizard condor there's all kinds of other animals that are 
in the cave, and they represent a right. uh, traditional creation story that the tribe um, tells that I was the first person to document that right. um, why humans get to walk on two feet is that all the animals had come to that cave to give something of themselves to the creation of man, and Harry Man offered that um, we should be allowed to walk on two feet like him. And Coyote didn't want that. He wanted them to walk on all fours like him. And so th- there was a race involved. And anyway, Harry Man's the one who won, so they created Man to, to walk on two legs. And then after Man was created, they painted their pictures on that cave so that Man would remember what they had done for them. And so it's a, and that's only wow. one of the stories. They have many, many stories um, that talk about, you know, what he represents to them in their culture. Right. Very cool. So along... Along with all these other known animals, we have a pictographs of a Sasquatch family. Correct. And so that would seem to suggest that the Indians viewed the Sasquatch as just another creature in the forest, right? Yes, they, yeah, and still do. I mean, they still have okay. a very, um, what they would call a close relationship with the right. Sasquatches that still live in that area. Well, that to me, yeah, that 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 says a lot, right there. Mm-hmm. That says a lot. Very cool story, too. Now, <laughs> you know, I I like to always throw this out there because you know we we Chris and I have discussed this a lot of times. Is that I think when when Finding Bigfoot first came out, everybody in the research community was like <laughs> holding their breath, and and all of a sudden it picked up steam. And what I think, you know. Uh, let's face it; it's not a, a really a science program per se, but it's a great awareness program at least. And for that, we we give it all the the, the credit in the world for doing. Oh it. yeah, I mean, it's made a lot yeah. of people come out of the woodwork. I think I I know Kathy. Have yeah. you seen a positive or a negative uh, spin on it? Um, I've actually seen a positive spin. I mean, I, I, we we have a kind of a different view. You know, we know Matt and Bobo and Cliff very well. We bigfooted no. with them many times and. You know, I think the world of of Cliff and Bobo—they're just really good people that you know I would do anything for. And and I think what I see on that show is really them. I mean, they are not fake, not one ounce of them. That those are who they truly are. And I actually think it's done a lot of good because you have you do have people that are much more willing to talk, that are much <coughs> feeling more safe, like they're not going to be mocked or made fun of. Um, and, and curiosity where people ha- are thinking to themselves, well, I never thought of that before, and yep. now that someone's talking about it, I find that intriguing. And, you know, and they ask the same questions that many people ask, you know, where is the evidence, what about this DNA, you know, that the same good questions that yep. that you should be asking. And so, um, you know, I, I, yeah, I would like to see more science. I would like to see, you know, it would be awesome if they really got something cool, you know, um, yeah. while they're out there. But, you know, it, it is what it is, and I've done television shows before, and, you know, you're very limited on what you can and can't do, and they tell you what to do most of the time, and so, you know, you <laughs> yeah. have to, to live with that, knowing that that's the process you're you're going through, but in the end, something good is going to come from it, and so that that's what I think. Yeah, and I'm, you know, I'm pleasantly surprised that the, the show took off. It mean, To me, it means at least that, you know, there's a big interest in this, and uh, before we carry out, I I did promise somebody a shout out tonight. Frank Zesiensky, Frank, my buddy, 
How are you tonight? Uh, you're probably listening tonight. Wanted to give you a little smile on your face. And uh, I was out with Frank today uh, for the better part of the day today, and uh, we've been uh, uh, we were pounding the pavement today. Because, and uh, we have, uh, I think, three new sighting reports in the Vermont area to investigate over the next couple of weeks, or at least get the groundwork laid out for investigation, at least for the more kinder weather next year. Very cool. Yeah. So, uh, Frank, you're the king, man. You're the king. You the man, Frank. <laughs> he'll get he'll get a, a, a the the king comments an inside joke. So <laughs> <laughs> he'll, he'll he'll get it he'll get it really well. He'll probably write me tonight and lambaste me. <laughs> well, uh, Kathy, you mentioned uh, you'd done TV shows before, and I remember one episode of Monster Quest where uh, you were on there with some other female researchers, and uh, you guys were, like, uh, set up. Could you talk talk to us a little bit about that show that you, you guys did? Oh, sure. It was uh, Monica Rollins, uh, yeah. Melissa Hovey, um, let's see if I can remember everybody's name, uh, Christine Walls. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, the other lady... I cannot, she was the nicest person, Tracy, but I can't remember her last name. Uh, and we were up at uh, Skookum Meadow in Washington. And, Skookum? Uh, yeah, Skookum. So, you know, where the famous Skookum right. uh, cast <laughs> is from, yeah. Oh, and it just rained and rained. I mean, I tell you, that I feel kind of sorry for people that live up that way. I don't know that they ever get any sunshine. but um, And, and it, was, it was actually quite a bit of fun. We had activity that happened at night. Um, we had... Um, something that was constantly throwing rocks at us and that was my first experience right. with that. And but we didn't get any of it on film unfortunately. But and then we also had Why? an of well, because the uh cameraman didn't stay with the girls at night. That's what I heard. The cameraman at like five o'clock or whatever punched a punched a clock and said, I'm out of here, girl uh, you know. Yep. And took he, off. Yeah, he didn't stay the the evenings. With us at all, so we were kind uh, of on our own. No, no, I, I know the uh. real reason why. <laughs> Sorry, I had to throw that in there. <laughs> you didn't want to mess around up there around Skookum Meadows, but it was. <laughs> but uh, that I thought you guys had a great, I mean, a great idea there. I mean, because I think with an all-female uh, research team, uh, that's. That's got to. I mean, it's got to make a, a Sasquatch more interested, or might maybe more uh, feel more at ease or less threatened, and w- would it seem like to me would bring them in closer. I, and, I'm actually really. I, I had always. Um, well, my first research partner before uh, Bob and I got together was Mantra Freitas, and we used to have some extremely good results all the time. You know that it was. I mean, not all the time. I mean, that doesn't sound good, but. Uh, it would, could seem to have much more action going on versus, you know, right. having less things happen the more males are there. And so, um, but, you know, I, I, I think it's not that they necessarily feel safe. I think it's just we're a curiosity because our voices are different. Yeah. Um, yeah. Especially someone like me, I have a very high feminine voice, Um you know, I think it's the curiosity part of all that 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 kind of right. wants them to get a little closer and say, "What in the world is that sound? You know, what is that coming from?" And you know, and you know, it's unusual to probably used to hearing hunters and 
You know, right. so I think it's it's really related to that much more than anything. But um, there's so few times that you get to do that kind of work because there's not a lot of us that that are you know willing to go out there at night and be alone. So it's difficult right. to find those research partners that are willing to do that. So right. and if any of you know Monica, man, you. I'd be afraid to make her mad, so you know she's, she's a great, great research partner. You know, she's not scared of anything. Very good. I would like to. I would like to uh, ask if uh, when you. Oh, dang on. Hang on a second, Steve. Take over for a second, please. Oh no problem. Uh, sounds sorry. like Chris has a. Sorry, bud. Oh, it's that's all right. Be right back. All right. I I, I don't know what happened there, but. Uh, we, we shall continue on, but yeah, I, I know that. Uh, and please give Bob our uh, warmest regards too. Oh, and, I will. And um, yeah, I, I've uh, you know I had a chance to meet Monica last year in Ohio, and uh, she's a lot of fun. And you're right, I wouldn't want to get on her bad side at all. <laughs> no, no, she's, um, she's really tough, and and that you don't get to, you can't find that in just anybody. You know, she, no. and she's one person. First person that comes to my mind, they say, "You want to go out with somebody, Monica and Mantra, because they have my back." Yep. So, and that's important. Yep, you always have. Okay, and, I'm back, uh, Steve. <laughs> and, and you know the the personal tragedy in Monica's life to come back the way she did and still have that great attitude she has, just a phenomenal attribute to her. Um, unbelievable. Yeah, but a good uh, person. yes, absolutely. Now. I, I am convinced. Uh, now, did it rain the entire time you were there? Not the entire time, but it, it rained quite a bit, enough to make you a little bit miserable. But, yeah. but I, I am ultimately convinced it was Melissa Hovey's fault because <laughs> she Melissa was, brought the rain. <laughs> <laughs> because I was on expedition with Melissa back in uh, May, and uh, we actually had a Nat Geo team with us. It rained all four days, and on the fifth day when we were leaving. That's when the sun came out. <laughs> so. Well, it's, I've actually been oh, no. to Stukum several times with Melissa and Monica uh, in the past because that we we the, we have a little group of us that try to get together every year and bitfoot someplace. Um, you know, people come. You know, Brian Brown and Jerry Riedel. And uh, that year that we were at Skookum Metal, it rained the entire time too. <laughs> So we were kind of like, why do we keep coming back here? So I think we're on to something. Uh, anyway, I do have a, a question from our good pal Alan Gaines. Um, since oh, no. your uh, since your Giants, Cannibals, and Monsters book was published, have you learned of any new Native American Bigfoot stories? Hi, Alan. I just want to say hi to him. Um, yeah. Oh yeah, I, I never quit. In fact, the the even at the time of publication, I still had. Tons of material, and the publisher finally said, "Hey, you know, we had to cut you off. You know, this book can only be so big." And I said, "Fine." So that was that's where I cut it off was at that point. But I have enough material for an entire n- new book, and plus now I've been oh. doing quite a bit of research uh, in Mexico and South America, oh, and good. have found some very fascinating um, information. Now, do they have uh, uh, similar creatures in Mexico and? Um south of the border, per se? Um, I'm having better luck. Um, you know, and a lot of this, uh, I have to get translated, and so I have a, a pile that's got to get gone got to get gone through. Boy, that's southern. I'm not Chris, even southern. My husband is. I'll blame it on him. Well, Chris but, is catching <laughs> on you. That's the problem. It's Chris Bennett's fault. 
Yeah. But the the South American ones in particular are it's almost unbelievable how similar they are to stories we have in North America. Um and so I'm explo- going through their language groups right now to see if any of these groups in South America are in the same languages as uh as in particular Pacific Northwest because they're they're not word for word but they're very very similar in the style, the motif of the Bigfoot that's a Campbell with a basket on its back, that type of thing. And so there's it's just fascinating um what the connections are and that you know, and a lot of people, you know, when they think of South America and they think of Mexico, they really don't think of tribal people being there, but the 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 they are they are the same people that are here in the United States. They're all the, what we would consider Native Americans. They're the same group that walked across the Bering Land Bridge. They just spread further down the continent than the ones that ended up staying here in North America. And so they have very similar traditions. They have very similar um, lifestyles. It's just you know their languages have evolved a different way because they've been separated from their North American cousins for a longer period of time. But I still would expect there to be greater differences and have different characters. Um, I am finding that, like, coyote, as opposed to here in North America, that is very popular and in almost every tribe's, you know, traditional stories as some sort of trickster, does not yet seem to have any um, appearances down in South America. And so, obviously, I... I, now I got to do research on what a coyote-like animal may be down there. They may not have anything that's uh, native down there that could be a coyote or a coyote-like animal. So, um, so it's just interesting seeing how that, that they do incorporate what is their local animals, you know, into their stories, but they don't have a trickster type thing down there that I can find so far. Awesome. Now, Very cool. I, I noticed that I, I don't know if this is true or not, but they don't have any per se Bigfoot researchers down there, do they? That I mean, at least they're not very well known in, in North America. It seems like the lion's share of investigators are primarily in North America. Yeah, I, I would I, agree with that. Yeah, they don't. I, I haven't yet come across any anybody that I can tie into um, in those areas that I can make a connection that. That has, and it's actually, it's just different. You know, North America has a lot more money, and so we have more varied hobbies. I think, you know, yeah. and and I also find that there's not a lot of people that really have paid a lot of attention to the tribes that are down there. You know, they're very, very interested in Aztec and mine and the the pretty gold stuff. You know, that archaeologists love and stuff. But the far as really documenting the tribes that are still very intact. In, in South America, there's not been a whole lot of work put towards that. Hmm. Well, our uh, good friend Steve over at Bigfoot Books had a couple of questions <laughs> in the chat. I don't know if he's serious, but the the first one was, do Bigfoot really eat people? Do they really eat people? Um, I don't <laughs> believe so, no. I, I think that every... Every tribe has, like, animals. Um, like, let, let's go to eagle. Eagle doesn't talk. Eagle isn't the wisest animal we have out there. But what he does is represent a characteristic or a theme that is important to the tribe. Apparently, poor Bigfoot got 
stuck with this boogeyman type character. And so that's what he represents. And Coyote represents the ability to trick people out of something that they have in order for you to have it. And uh, Hummingbird has this other quality of being a great worker. And, and so these are things like when you talk to your children and you're passing on what is important to your tribe, you do so using animals so that it's easily remembered because, remember, Native people didn't have um, a form of writing. And so it's just unusual for me that it's pretty consistent that Bigfoot has this this stuck on him, you know, that he has this traditional yeah. across-the-board type thing. That's what you get to be. You get to be the boogeyman. And if you look at um, how other humans, other tribes are represented, like here locally, our tribe has really bad stories about the tribe that's next door. They didn't like them. And so they just all these god-awful things that they would attribute to that tri- tribe. And once you really get into it, well, none of that stuff was actually true. But they're, they had somebody had to be the bad guy. And so they made the tribe next door a bad guy, and instead the Bigfoot's a nice person. He doesn't have to be the boogeyman because they just did it to oh. the, the neighbors, you know, next door. And so... It's you have to when you look at Native American stories, you have to look the, at them in the context of the tribe itself and what do their other stories say, because that will give you a key on what it is that they're trying to convey. Right. So no, I don't really think they eat people. Wow, cool. And we had a <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> we had a question uh, from Jody in the chat. Uh, says, uh, Jody wants to know, uh, Kathy, are you working with the Mexican tribes as part of your research? or is it in the plans for future research? Um, that would be in the future because I haven't made a good connection with anybody okay. there yet. That's, Mexico, strangely, has been the toughest to get information out or in. And so it was easier for me to go to South – well, I haven't been to South America, literally, but it's easier for me right now to be dealing with South America until I get some key contacts and some a little bit more key information, which may be in what I already have, but right now it's in Spanish, and I can't. I haven't had it translated yet. So. Right, right, right. Very good. Uh, now, now we we do have an offbeat question from uh, our good friend Richter, and he was wondering, Kathy, will you let Richter make a drawing of you? <laughs> I don't know. Will I look good. Well, I, I I'd say go for it. <laughs> go for it. Sure. Okay, Richter, you got the green light. No, Richter, uh, I don't know if you know Richter Ricola. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he, <laughs> he's he's having fun. It's good to see him in the chat tonight. Yeah. Um, he's a great artist. Oh, I, phenomenal. I, I wish he, I had half his talent. And, and you know what I said when I saw his picture of me? I said, well, now I don't. <laughs> now I have to go to Planet Fitness anymore. <laughs> so. And uh, Steve over at Bigfoot Books, Kathy had another it was like a sec- a second part to that question. Um, okay. Did uh, are there any reports of the the Bigfoots or the Sasquatch uh, capturing human women and uh, mating with them? Yes, yes, there okay. are. There are quite a few of those actually. Um, and there's also in the reverse the, a female Bigfoot. Um, it's always kind of different how you kind of see these. Stories and I have to watch my language and clarify this a little bit. But okay, so I'm gonna let's put this in my frame of mind here. It's okay. So, we're not on F- we're not FCC approved. So well, 
<laughs> I know, but it comes back to haunt me later. So, um, yes, so in the Pacific Northwest, there are many stories of, and Pacific Northwest being, you know, out here in the on the, right. the West Coast, where um, Bigfoots have stolen females in order to uh, mate with them. In the South, strangely, it seems to be a more willing um, participation. Mm. So it's not, it's the, they weren't stolen. <laughs> they willingly went with the Bigfoot. Is she the taking Bigfoot, a poke at me? <laughs> no, that's why I had to be careful how I said it. But there's, it's not, uh, it's willing. I, I don't know how else to put it. And 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 in, and in the South, it's, they are unusual because there are stories of female Bigfoots um, right. having relationships with um, males. Very and, yeah. and they yeah. want to be there. They have a they they're you know they don't think she's the prettiest thing they ever. Instead, they'll make comments like, oh, you know, you know, doesn't look so great, but she's a great provider. You know, there was always uh, food. You know that type of thing, and that's what the women yeah. would say about the male Bigfoot. Oh, just always there was always food present. You know, he was the best hunter, and so, um, and then in the in the Pacific Northwest, the the Tonequah, who is the wild woman of the woods, you know, cannibal basket woman, she actually has a lure of that herself. <clears throat> excuse me, herself. She always promises men that if you'll sleep with me, I'll give you great riches. And she's known to have lots of riches. Property woman is another hey. term for her. But I yeah. have never found a story where anybody fell for it. Can, can so I can I like, insert can I ah! can I insert a, a funny ex-wife joke here? No. <laughs> sure. oh, Steve, come on now, family show now. Come on. <laughs> that was the joke, but yeah, 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 well, yeah. anyway, so that's in the Pacific Northwest. Even though that's part of her legend. I have not found a, a story where a man took her up on that deal. Now, well, she hadn't propositioned Steve yet, because I'm telling you, she's supposed to have lots of money. I mean, just lots of money. Nice. Well, here's a. This is all leading into what what I was going to bring out, and Steve already uh, from Bigfoot Books, Steve Strafer already jumped on it, and uh, he says, you know, basically the same question I was: How might this match up with the Melba Ketchum? The theory that's going on. I mean, it, I saw the the relevance between that almost immediately. But what's your thoughts on that? Well, that actually was my first thought as well because um, I I am aware that um, Sykes has been uh, given some um, samples that were taken in Washington from some Native people who believe that they are an offspring of a uh, male. Bigfoot and human woman um, hmm. mating occurrence, and so wow. they they have sent that, and so I I kind of always figured that that's where this was going to go, and um, you know, and I have my own thoughts about what that press release said, of course, and but it's um, I think I think that's what it's tied to is that this belief at some point, at least in our past, we had a relationship, and those and those relationships continue into modern day. Interesting, and that that may actually uh, all sync up with Osman's encounter, that famous nineteen twenty four tale. You know, I I I I was looking at that, going, geez, there's a case in reverse. But 
you know, now Kathy has educated us and said, no, there's actually stories of, of reverse as well. So Yes, mm-hmm. and the southern men are more willing to go with the female Bigfoot. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they are. Yeah, yeah well, you know. <laughs> but there is, a, there is a story from Kentucky and the hills mm-hmm. of Kentucky, over eastern Kentucky, uh, about a guy that was, uh, um, this is supposed to have been long ago, broke his leg or something and and while he was hunting and normally if uh if you get back uh several miles away from anywhere and break your leg uh back then you were dead and he crawled into a cave and there was a big uh female uh hairy girl there taking care of him until he got better mhm so that's 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 one and that's uh, an old wives tale from Kentucky and it could be very well rooted in truth mhm well, and that's the interesting part is that um, that they what it implies is that the the value of being able to eat and have food on a daily basis outweighed other considerations, you know. Right. And, and one of the southern stories, um, the tribe initially was pretty upset about it, and so what they did is they did a ceremony and they changed the Bigfoot uh, into human. So they just did a ceremony and said, now you're human, so now it's okay. Because they, they were unwilling to accept the Bigfoot into their group as a Bigfoot. And so, you know, it was it was just ceremonial. I mean, he still had hair and right. still a Bigfoot. But in their minds, they made him part of the tribe, and so now the union was, was perfectly okay. Oh, hmm. Very cool. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, this, this stuff is fascinating. It, it, you know, I know it's weighing heavily on, on everybody's minds about the study and what's been said so far. So as you're, yeah. you're you know, revealing these, you know, centuries-old tales, it's like, hmm. Um, anyway, for folks who want to call in and speak with Kathy, and uh, <laughs> please call in and give us a call. And uh, our and phone number is 347-215-8766. 347-215-8766. And we do have a, a question from our good friend Bill Green for Kathy. <laughs> uh, question Yay, from hey, Bill. Bill. Kathy, are you investigating any new sightings, etc.? What's your honest opinion of Melba Bigfoot situation? Okay. Well, let me let me answer the second part first about Melba. Um, you know, of course, everybody on Earth wants this to be, you know, authentic and that she's got sequences and that we're going to be able to see them and judge them and know what's going on. Um, you know, and I'm not a geneticist at all, So, but I am a anthropologist. And the concept of this happening 15,000 years ago is what really has me, um, my head spinning, because mm-hmm. based on her press release, the coupling the original origin of this species was in somewhere in Eastern Europe at 15,000 years ago. And we know that the Bering Land Bridge was only open for a certain period of time. And so my, my in 15,000 years in human evolutionary time is nothing. I mean, it's yep, nothing. Right. There, that's not even, an, it takes 20,000 years for a mutation to show up in, in, in mitochondrial DNA. So I don't. I kind of just don't understand how it could have gotten as a populate breeding population could have made it from Eastern Europe 
to Siberia, crossed the Bering Land Bridge, and then spread in that amount of time that was needed. That the Native Americans who came over were right there on the cusp in Siberia, and it just kind of followed the green path, you know, down into North America without even knowing they were moving because it was just a green corridor. There, Eastern Europe was green, so there was no motivation to leave there. So. I'm having a hard time unless she the, the sentence isn't written well, and maybe what she meant was the male donor originated, its DNA originated in Eastern Europe, but the species actually occurred in North America, where whatever the father and the mother bred started the population in North America, so they were already here. So, but still, fifteen thousand years doesn't seem like enough time in order for this species to exist, you know, to have a viable breeding population. So those are some some questions that I'm going to have to have answered after her studies comes out, you know, and I'm not, I couldn't tell you if the DNA matched a, a, you know, a garbage bag because I don't know how to read that stuff and I'll leave that to other people. I just would be really curious about, um, how that would happen, and, and it's not impossible. Certainly not impossible. It would just be unusual. And having said that, you know, I have no doubt that that Bigfoot exists. I, I for Bill's benefit, I had my own sighting uh, in May of this year, where um, my husband, myself, Brian Brown, and another individual, plus one other person who didn't get to see anything because he didn't get out of his chair fast enough, uh, saw two. Um, and it was very clear what they were. They were no more than 50 yards from us walking right towards us. And so I know they exist. And so since I know they exist, I know they have to have DNA without a doubt. It's just what does that DNA show us? You know, what is it going to say? What is this thing? Based on what I saw, I would never in a billion years call that thing human. Not not even remotely. Right. Not even remotely. They're, they have no qualities outside the fact that they walk upright. To, to be human, and we were there in this area for a week, and we were pelted with rocks and just, you know, tortured, essentially. It was like <laughs> going to Vietnam, you know, because every corner you turned around, something was moving in the bushes, and, you know, lots of close encounters. Bob actually saw a, so those were the two we saw. He saw a third one um, a couple of days later, and a couple of days after that, another member saw, a, saw one up closer. And so... You know, based on what I know as an anthropologist and behavior and based on what I can see with my own two eyes, they're so ape-like, I I don't see what human characteristics they have. I I just can't see it. That's that's the thing. That's exactly. You you went down the same street that I'm talking, Kathy, because that's exactly what I believe that if it's there, I've not seen it. And but there's so many other reports of other researchers that have seen them, and some say that they had a very human-like face. And now, what I saw was was no more human than, you know, a, a mountain gorilla. But now, mm-hmm. I've not not had any opportunity, because it's not like I've seen a million of them, you know. But <laughs> I've not had any opportunity to see any that looked human. Uh, so it's going to be difficult for me to swallow. But, you know, the, if the DNA is there... And that's what it says. That's that's what it says. Well, we also and, and know. I'm in the same spot. If that if if science says this is real DNA 
from a Bigfoot. We accept it. Huh? My God, huh? it's some form of human, somewhere at least in the homogeneous. I will accept it. I have no choice. I'm a scientist. So, and that'll be fine. I, I will go there. I, we're just not there yet. And so I'm not willing, you know, we got a lot of people who are always felt that way, you know, who, who use terms like forest people and terms like yeah. that that are already going, oh, my gosh, you know, they're human. We ought to give them human rights and all this stuff. And you're like, oh, my God, hmm. calm down. We don't even yeah. have that information yet. So just, you know, just settle down, take a deep breath. And first of all, even if they're, even if they're mitochondrial DNA, truly is modern human being, modern homo sapiens sapiens, does not make them human. The definition of human isn't just a biological question, and that's the part that drives me crazy. We have a characteristic that include technology, it's our brain, it's the use of our hands, it's all these other things, culture, that make us human. And so... To say that biology is the only thing that we base humanity on, well, why aren't chimps considered human? We have 99% same DNA. Why aren't they considered human? So, you know, you can't have it both ways. There there is a definition of what makes us human. It doesn't mean they shouldn't be protected. That's what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying there's more to the human idea than just biology. Yeah. Okay, we do have a question in the chat room. And uh, does Kathy think that homo... Oops, hang on. The screen just jumped on me. <laughs> uh, does Kathy think that homo hylobergensis may be the unknown hominin species crossing with the female homo sapiens? Well, um... If Melba's study is correct. Let me just... I, I don't think so, because what what... Uh, her study, what she says, you know, briefly and hints at, is that it's not Neanderthal and it's not uh, Devon. I never can say that very good. Devosa, the, the woman X um, from Siberia. She oh. said it's not that, and it's further removed. And of course, we ha- don't have any um, DNA from anything other than you know those two in, in Floresmia. Right. So, but every indicator would be um, that Heidelberg is probably closer to us. So, in her yeah. way, she makes it sound as it's even deeper than that. Like it might be Homo erectus, maybe something to that mm-hmm. effect. But it's difficult to tell in that. Um, but see, what it happens where the problem? Uh, let me back up. Heidel, uh, you're getting all my homos mixed up here. Heidelberg, yeah. He is even he could uh, obviously mate with uh, a modern human, but that mating would not result in what a Bigfoot looks like. Right. It would just look exactly like us with a different, yeah. you know, pool gene pool. Big deal. You would never be able to find it. For all we know, right now we got Neanderthals walking around here, but we can't tell the difference because they look exactly like us. So in order for Bigfoot to have the characteristics that he has. Because it's, it, it, and he's only a fifteen thousand year old species. There isn't enough time for a- adaptation, which is an evolutionary term. So, if Bigfoot started out looking like us, and because of where he was forced to live, you know, or where he chose to live, 
he became taller, bigger, thicker, hairier. There isn't enough time with 15,000 years for that to happen. It cannot happen. Whenever this species first came about, if we're looking at 15,000 years ago, it had to come out looking like that. So that means the father, if it's modern human, woman is the mother, the father has to have those characteristics. And so there's nothing in our homo line that we're aware of that has those characteristics. Of course, we, we're guessing what we think Homo erectus look like, you know, but we don't think he was covered with hair. And so that's the pinch. You know, what is this, what does the father look like and what is he? I think if we were talking about hybrids, it would go back to what uh, Dr. Uh, Grover Krantz, uh, his, his uh, theory on uh, Bigfoot was uh, Gigantopithecus. Yes. And if we're talking uh, hybridization here, then that, I think they would need to look back to the Jacanopithecus because that's the only thing uh, in our and well uh, in the background that that suggests any that has any size to it. Yeah, yeah but it, it, correct, correct, and 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 not only that, well, I, we don't think we could that, that and see that's the the rub is that you have to in order to have something that's hybrid, you have to be related to each other. Enough to produce an offspring that can produce other offspring. So right. otherwise, you're a dead end. You're you never existed. Right. And so the few times that we think we've seen uh, hybrids of um, you know Neanderthal and even humans, you know, it's still difficult to tell because is this just an individual characteristic or is this you know what what are we seeing here? Is this a true hybrid of those two species? Or are you just seeing Unfortunate characteristics that look like, you know, a, 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 a furrowed brow like you would find in Neanderthals. And so there's the rub. It has to be close enough related to us to produce offspring that are fertile, and it has to have characteristics that would make Bigfoot look like he does if you're using the 15,000 years. Now, that's what, what kind of got stuck in my craw was what's the 15,000 year thing? You know, why 15,000 years? Why aren't we looking? What what about her study? And, of course, we can't know until we get the study that right. didn't point to an older age because we've been modern human, at least physically, for 200,000 years. We've been culturally modern human for 160,000 years. So why what's this? Why the 15,000 years? I, I'm not sure how that fits and would she – well, I'm not saying – that was a, I was going to say I wish she had said 150 years, but she has to say what her research says. So, if her research says 15,000, then so be it. Okay, we're going to take the, our three-minute break at this point. Allow people to get a little break in there and uh, run to get a drink of break. And we are back with Kathy Strain, uh, Chris. I hope your nicotine break was good. I'm back. I'm dizzy, but uh, I'm back. (laughs) Well, uh, some great, great conversation. uh, Oh, wow. Kathy is just an awesome guest. Yeah. Are you back with us, Kathy? Yep, I'm still here. Good deal. Good deal. Oh, yeah. I'm learning a ton here. Oh, me too, man. My brain's like a sponge here. I'm telling I'm soaking it up. But uh, Kathy... (laughs) Before I got interrupted by my eight-year-old while ago, uh, I was going to ask you, um, I've had this theory my, myself for the last couple of years that uh, these creatures are 
more attracted by women and children than they are men. And do you do you think that's accurate, or do you have another thought on that? Well, well, Bob would claim to be a Bigfoot magnet, but <laughs> <laughs> but actually, I am a firm believer in that. Um, what had um, kind of spurred our sighting in uh, May was um, I'll try to make it short, but. But essentially, I got left by myself for a period of time while the men were off, you know, looking and searching and stuff. And um, and I, I had the, the first day we got there, nothing had happened. The second day, I had made quite myself known by just kind of looking around and talking and making sure that everything could hear my voice. And I, when I was by myself, I was, you know, taking the opportunity to look around some more. And I think that that was part of what caused the sighting in that sense is that, it, although you know you're never going to know for sure if they just thought we weren't there or what, but I, I kind of distinctly had this impression that they were curious about what I was. You know, right. a lot of women don't go to that particular area, and, and, you know, and I was real, I made sure I wore pink, you know, really bright colors, and, you know, when everybody else, you know, men tend to wear more grays and greens and very muted you know, foresty right. type colors, and so um, I just had that impression that that uh, had I not done that, that maybe we would not have had the sighting. And so um, I, I'm a firm believer, and really would like to to experiment more with that about trying to have more women present and not have men present, and see what happens, and um, right. you know, and go from there. Right. And uh, during during your sighting, Kathy, did you? Can you think back? Do you remember? Uh, did you ever experience anything, uh, any sort of sensations with your ears or anything during your sight? <laughs> no. no, no, no. There okay. was no infrasound. Okay. Nothing like that whatsoever. And they had every okay. opportunity to do so. Um, right. the, we were there for a week. They had every opportunity to zap us or to talk to me in right. my head, or but they didn't. <laughs> well. <laughs> On the uh, during your during Sasquatch, your sighting, Sasquatch want pork chops on grill. <laughs> during uh, during your sighting, <laughs> during your sighting, Kathy, did you notice any sort of of smell or any any odd odors? Uh, yes, I did. Um, they really stink, and it's not like the not what I expected. I was expecting um, feces kind of smell, you know, something uh, sewer. And it's not. It, they smelled like a wet horse, like, no, a sweaty horse. So we have some horses right. in our pasture, and I go and give them carrots because I like making them fat and get in trouble right. for it. But um, <laughs> they smell exactly like that. It was it was that right. sweaty, mixed with dirt smell, but not, I'm not clean smell. Right. Hmm. Now, now, this is a tough question, of course. It's asked by Alan Gaines again. <clears throat> but I know you're like, oh. <laughs> and, and, and it's kind of hard to ask this question because of what we've learned the last week, which may be. But here's the question: Is um, do you have any personal pet theory on what Bigfoot descended from, Giganto or something else? I think that um, well, it, it, that is a hard question because you don't know what the answer to the DNA is. But yeah, I, I know it's like. Uh, <laughs> 
you know, uh, you know, for a while I was in the Giganto camp, and up until maybe about a year ago when I said, well, I'm going to just flip a coin and, 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 and just tell myself that I'm going to wait, whatever it is. It doesn't matter. It's primate. Yeah. And that was yeah. my, my thought. It, it doesn't matter where it comes from. It's a primate. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that's the premise I work on. But that's a tough question to ask now that we know what we know. Well, it, it, we know what was released in the right, in the right, 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 right. And right. and I, based on what I saw, and just because you know I am a little educated, I'm still in the well. We're no matter what primate ape, we're still all that same stuff because we are ourselves anyway. But I am leaning to that it is an ape, and that's why it's as big as it is and fast as it is and why it does the thing it does. I mean, I just, all to me, it looks like it's just a bigger chimp, you know, just a big chimp, you know, essentially. And a lot of its behaviors are very chimpy. You know, there's no, nothing I see that tells me that they're human. And, you know, and it's even more so I'm willing to say, you know, that I've had people ask me if they think I it's a, a humans that just went, you know, out in the forest, and they just developed over time, and I definitely do not believe that. No. So I don't believe they would have modern DNA of any sort, both nuclear or mitochondrial, and just evolved into that, just because evolution is a very long process, and we don't de-evolve into something bigger and hairier, so... Yeah, the, the 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 feral human thing. I mean, uh, yeah, sure, that that's crazy. possible. There there could be humans that went wild and they're living out in the woods now. But yeah, they're they're going to be a little hairier than than the normal person. But they're not going to be ten to twelve feet tall. No, that, that, that's not going to happen. Well, it's not an evolutionary benefit to them. I mean, right. all right. Evo- evolution is picking the best qualities that give you advantage over something else. For humans, why would that be an advantage? Because for us, you know, it, it, to get bigger means you need more calories, and now you're out in the wild where you we we're not meat eaters. Our teeth are not designed to be, you know, cutting into to flesh and bone using our teeth, you know, and and we actually process food much better when it's cooked. That's how our guts developed. And so for us to go backwards and start eating. Un, you know, raw, unprocessed meats using our teeth and no tools because nobody's ever seen a Bigfoot with a tool. I mean, come on. Yeah, you know, that, 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 happen. that's what gets me, anthropologically speaking, is that if you think it was some sort of hybrid, that maybe it would have been using some sort of tools or, or you know, fire, but it's not. And yeah. I'm just scratching my head about that. Yeah, that you, that's an advantage you think you wouldn't want to lose. So. Right. I mean, wow. <laughs> um, let's see. We do have some questions in the chat room now that we've asked Sir Allen's question. I can get it out of my uh, chat box here. Um, let's see what we've got. Um, th- this question is from our good friend Jody. How do you reconcile your theories about it possibly being ape, I suppose, with the natives, uh, the Native American stories? Oh, I find that very easy to, to reconcile. Um, first of all, Native people attribute human characteristics to every animal. It's not just Bigfoot. And so, yes, they do indeed use terms like uh, brother, and there are, are terms that are put them to the level of human. But that doesn't surprise me because 
if I'm a native person and I'm seeing something back in the 1600s, 1700s that's bipedal, like me, mm-hmm. logically, I would think we were related. That 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 doesn't surprise me any way, shape, or form. I know when my children were young and they first saw a chimp and a gorilla, they thought that they were related to them. You know, because they have, if you look, and they have beautiful eyes and they're very expressive and, you know, and they can walk upright for short periods of time. And so it's that natural draw of I'm I'm not the only species that walks upright on the earth. You know, we're not alone. And so, yeah, I would think that that's a very logical. That's what I would have said if, if I had seen that. Yeah, and to, uh, you know, to... to capitalize on one of the earlier questions where uh, I think it was Steve Streifert that asked, you know, do you believe that Bigfoot cannibalize, you know, people? Uh, I mean, uh, the what I've learned in, in primate studies is that it's very rare, it, it's not the norm for a primate to attack or, you know, to eat another primate. I guess that's why it's such a taboo in us that we do have sort of this auto-recognition of another primate. And, oh, oh, yeah. It's, uh, can- cannibalism has always been considered um, a, a dastardly uh, mm-hmm. taboo. I mean, it's it's it will get you killed in most native tribes, you know, because they just view it as being evil. And so, um, yeah, and they would they would. I, I think the idea that something upright would eat another upright primate, you know, it's a, something that we share together, some kind of brotherly love, I think, would be very disturbing to Native people. And so, um, now, yeah, we, I mean, it's... We, we do have some chatter in the chat room saying that chimps do eat smaller primates. But that's mm-hmm. a that's actually a rarity, I've heard. That yeah, kinda... it, it, we've found that the, the they do do that. They'll eat the smaller, but they're like, uh, chimps will eat monkeys. But mm-hmm. I don't know that they recognize a monkey is in the same lineage as them, but it's... it's we know that it's caused from uh, deficiencies that are going on within the tribe, and so and it's just like why do why do humans do cannibalism? And right. we know that it's a it's a disorder. Right. Well, or it could be like like you said because of a deficiency. I mean, mm-hmm. look at that pr- plane crash that happened in the Andes. They were cannibalizing the yeah. the the dead because they needed to eat. So, yeah. Exactly. And, well, right. and the thing is, if if uh, the Bigfoot creatures do. Uh, uh, cannibalize uh, humans or or even each other for that matter. We really can't say anything about it because humans cannibalize humans. Yeah, you know we yeah. always have and and and, <laughs> and I got I got a feeling that in survival situations where it's live or die, that humans will cannibalize humans again. You know in the oh, future. Uh, yeah, I mean that's just that's just life. You're not going to yeah. choose to starve to death when the opportunity is there. You right. may be disgusted right. with yourself, but. But yeah, I mean, cannibalism has always been a part of of human history, and it's never going to go away. It doesn't stop the fact that we have always found it disgusting and right. we've been disturbed by it. And we have what what mostly have done is if somebody chooses to do that behavior in times of non-stress, so you have right. plenty of food and you're still choosing to do this. Well, then there's something. Yeah. Seriously wrong with you, and they, and they and they ostracize, and usually will kill that individual within that tribe. You know, they view them as being witches, and so um, because nobody would rightfully choose to do that, and so um, so that's why. And it's a universal taboo. It's actually one of the few things that are most tribes, except for a few in Papua New Guinea, 
and uh, Africa that have, you know, always shunned that behavior in good times. You know, it, it's kind of like breakfast burrito, Brussels sprouts, or another person. Uh, I'm going to go with the breakfast burrito. <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, well, isn't that like, I like Brussels sprouts? Like, yeah. Okay. Like, well, yeah. Nice pan sautéed. Mm, but like that. the legend of the the Wendigo, you know, isn't that a Native American legend, or mm-hmm. is that something from no, Hollywood? Wendigo. No, yeah. Wendigo is is a that's a true Native word, and um, yeah, that's what they were. And, and it's in a lot of people. I did an interview not that long ago about skinwalkers, and a lot mm-hmm. of people think skinwalkers are Bigfoot, but they're not. Ooh. Those are considered they're Navajo evil witches that perform cannibalism, and not only that, they actually have to kill and eat their own family members in order to get this power of being the witch. And so oh. they're very, very evil. And so, um, but a lot of people have always attributed it, that to Bigfoot, but it's not. Those those are those are witches. Wow. Very cool. I just had my train wreck of thought for the night, Chris. I had a question, and I got so caught up with, Cappy's last statement that I completely forgot the question I had. Oh, man. Oh, God. I hate that. It was, a, it was a good one, too. Uh, well, I like the one which you was talking about the monkeys, the the chimpanzees. I love chimps. Uh, I had a, a buddy that worked over at the uh, the Animal uh, Chimpanzee uh, Research Center, a primate facility in Alamogordo, New Mexico. Oh, and cool. I, I never got to work there while I was, I was in the Air Force and on the base there. But I never got to work at that facility, and uh, but 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 he did, and I got to go visit quite often. And those little guys, I mean, they, you know, I felt kind of bad because they kept them in cages. But they are smart. They are just as smart as, if not smarter, than some humans. I know there's a thought. <laughs> you can you can look into their eyes, and you can tell there's a thought process going on. Mm-hmm. And let let me tell you, there was one little guy. He he enjoyed his. Uh, you could bring him bubble gum, and chewing gum, and he loved it. And uh, there was another one that uh, you know he he would have a fit. I know it's probably bad, but uh, he he loved a good Marlboro. And uh, <laughs> if, if, you could, if you would uh, light it for him, you could hand it to him through the bars, and he would smoke it and it inhale. I mean, well, we probably wasn't supposed to be doing that, but uh, I well, try well, to. He probably has cancer now, poor guy. Yeah. My, uh, my luck, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, yeah. I, I, I when uh, reading The Chimps in the Mugambi uh, by Jim Jane Goodall, uh, I remember this story that she told that the chimps like the rotten apples better than the fresh apples because the rotten apples had fermented and had some alcohol content to them. Mm-hmm. Ah. So they were actually getting a buzz off of this. So <laughs> primates, I'm telling you, have... I mean, they have the same, uh, what do they call, ecstasy flavor sensors that we yeah. do. They like the sweet and they like the salty. That's why we like yeah. our candy and our, our potato chips. Right. And, but they're they're smart, Steve. I mean, I mean, it's yeah. it's scary. That one guy that, that liked to smoke the cigarettes, when you walk by his cage, he would, you know, where, where most men keep their pack of cigarettes and lighter in their left breast pocket, he would look up at you and he would smack his left breast and then he would put his uh, <laughs> fingers together like uh, like he was holding a cigarette and put it up to his lips. Wow. Well, you, you know if he was Ow. if he was living in New York right now, he'd be using one of those e-cigs because <laughs> or the chips would all pile into the van and go oh, down to no. the reservation and buy the yeah. cigarettes from there. Anyway, enough. But, uh, 
Um, but just the the intelligence, you know, it just it just yeah. it, it really it really moved me. Well, now, and they, and they do that. You know, we've taught Coco the gorilla. She knows sign language. We've done lots of work with chimps and their cognitive um, understanding. I mean, they're very very intelligent, and and it is surprising, you know. But it's um, you know, like I said, you know, if you're going to consider Bigfoot human, if all this DNA is correct. Then I, I would I would go out on limb and say, well, we need to say the same things about about chimps and bovinos. You know, what's what's the difference in between all them? Yeah, uh, you know that 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 was the only thing that struck me bizarre about that statement was the basically a political statement at the end of it about mm-hmm. the constitutional rights. That just that just befuddled me. To me, that had no place in this kind of statement, which is supposed to be steeped in science. Well, well yeah. and it yeah. and it doesn't and it doesn't and, and and it's really kind of odd. And you asked why why she had decided to make a statement, which is which is what all of us are kind of wondering about. But it actually was uh, Igor Igor Barn. I'm not going to say name. Yeah, who had made a statement yeah. that she felt like she needed to respond to it. Um, <laughs> even though I I would have just ignored his statement and kept going, but for yeah, I can either confirm or deny Mr. Dr. Burtz's statement. That yeah. could easily <laughs> just suffice. That's what I would have done, but she yep. chose to come forward. So, And I don't know if it's linked because of Dr. Sykes' um, work that's going to be happening or, or what. I, I don't know. But you know, hopefully she said that she felt the study would be released in a matter of weeks, not, not months, like she's been saying. Mm-hmm. And I know David Polites on Coast to Coast said he expected weeks as well. So... Mm-hmm. You know, maybe there's an end to 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 all this. And, and you know, the other the other thing, from what I understand too, is that the the, the Sykes study. And I don't know if you know how much you know about it, but the Sykes study, according to Mike Rugg, anyway, is a high gear type of operation. It was September, October. They had the collection. You know, or September they had the collection. October they had like they were they were you know genoming it, and and you know they're reviewing it now, and then that. That it should be wrapped up by a, or somewhere around the first of the year. Oh yeah, yeah, and, that's uh, exactly what they're saying, and 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 enough so that I had heard of some results that were sent in like two weeks prior, and he already had a result for it, and it was just like, holy cow, dude! But this is what he does for a living. Yeah, I mean, yeah. so I mean, I expect a professional to act professionally and do professional work. And and, and, and you know what? Truthfully, I think the. The real problem with, with the catch and study, and I've thought this at, uh, for a long while now, is that she took every sample she could get, and there were a lot of samples. Instead mm-hmm. of just taking, you know, a good five, and let's work with that because it can be a lot quicker. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that was part of the problem too, because from what I understand was that they had the the, the initial sampling, and then all of a sudden there was a bunch of other samples that came into the study. Now if she held off on those. You know, she may have had her her uh, the report done a year ago. You know, in fact, it was August of 2011 when she told me, "Oh, we're expecting results by year's end," and here we are, a year later, and we still don't have the meat and potatoes yet. So, well, yeah, it, 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 and no study should take that long because, it, you know, you don't need, and maybe this is part of the problem that she felt she needed a hundred samples to verify her work or she needed xyz for it to be taken seriously that type of thing um i suspect it was something along that line of of 
maybe not a lot of experience with the the scientific method that you know that no it's not needed to have that many samples in order to prove your theory so um you know i suspect it was something like that and hopefully though what what the the hope is is whatever her results day state hopefully dr sykes matches it and there's other samples that can be tested by another lab so that we have um that those theories again tested by another lab because this is going to be so controversial such a blow out of the water type event that i guarantee you there's going to have to be multiple multiple studies in order for it to be accepted and so um that's what i'm hoping is that there that, is still now, plenty left now ben radford is bringing up the traditional now i like ben radford don't get me wrong cuz ben radford at least keeps an open mind yeah good guy and we've actually had him on the show, and we had a great discussion. And what he brings up is the two sticking points that I always see as something. Like he, he says, well, the, the human you know, hybridization, is it possible that the sample somehow got contaminated? Not so much at the lab part, but per se the, the, the collection process, because... You know, we're missing chain of evidence. If it's done the wrong way, we're going to miss chain of evidence. We're going to miss the proper collection method, and that could could it, could it you know kill the study. And then he brings up the other thing that since we don't know actually that these samples came from a, a Sasquatch, right. unless the Smedja sample that got submitted to the Ketchum study pans out, we have no inkling that it actually came from a Sasquatch. It was just found evidence. I mean, what say you, Kathy? Um, well, I'm not sure I understand his train of thinking because, uh, of course, you know, there should be... Uh, well, let me just back up. According to Ketchum and Dave Pilates, that many different labs were used in this study that are professional DNA labs. And they would have protocols in place to clean those samples of any human contamination. The chain of custody at that point makes no difference. If okay, that DNA right. shows an unknown primate living in our midst and we have 100 samples that have been tested that all have the exact same DNA, which is what Pilates is saying. He says all those DNAs match each other. Don't match anything known, but match each other. It does not matter what the chain of custody is. It no longer is an issue because you have irrefutable scientific data that points to something we don't know anything about. What would need to happen is the collection of additional samples and it continuing to test because part of what will be controversial, well, of course, is the finding, but also it's her methodology. Because although she used 13 different labs and they used their own methods and got the same results, then, then again, we can throw that out. Um, did they use her methods? Did she supply them? See, um, in order to do all DNA testing, you have something that's like a primer. And that primer helps you figure out what it is that you're looking for. And my understanding is that she developed a new type of primer that was able to um, get deeper. Because, you know, we've been sending samples in for years and we keep getting mm -hmm. back all these results to say they're human. Well, her thought process, according to what I've been told, was that that's because it did have human DNA and they never did anything deeper than mitochondrial DNA. And so right. she developed this new primer, which is something she's put a patent on, 
and that's what led was able uh, allowed her to get these other results. Well, that will have to be tested her primer to see if Got that it. is a a accurate true method of right. doing that type of work. And so, um, but yeah, the chain of custody at that point has no bearing, and he shouldn't worry about it at, at all. And it doesn't make any difference if somebody. Somebody saw it come off a of Bigfoot or not? Because again, you can't lie with the evidence. I mean, it's it's right. right there. And so, I mean, and if what they're saying is true that they have a hundred samples and they all match each other, the chances of us having a DNA, a nuclear DNA sequence not yet known about from a hundred samples, supposedly all throughout the United States. And it really just ends up being a human DNA that nobody ever found before, but just happened to match each other in this one individual study is pretty pretty strange. Yep. And so, you know, we're just yeah. gonna have to wait. Yep. And that's why I wanted to ask that question. That is a great response, and oh, yeah. it's, it's a good response to Radford's argument. I love it. Can we use that? Sure. Science is not. Stupid, and and that's the kind of thing that frustrates me so badly is that there's always these ridiculous statements that are put forth, and so you you have a, a null hypothesis, you test the null hypothesis. Your goal is to discredit that null hypothesis so you can discount it and throw it away and start over and keep on going out. Once you get hard data, it's like somebody trying to tell me, put an artifact in my hand and tell me, well, that's not an artifact. Well, yeah, it is. I can see it. There's no denying it's an artifact. Well, it isn't worth anything because you didn't put your name on it when it was handed over from the other person. No, it has worth. It does mm-hmm. have worth. And so okay. it it has worth in different ways because... You know, that my goal as an archaeologist is provenience because it tells me where people live. DNA doesn't have provenience. DNA's location, where it came from, you know, if it's a hair, blood, or tissue will matter, but it doesn't get to make a, well, because what, what would the person who had it do to the DNA to cause it to, to re, it's, oh, I'm getting frustrated, because it's the, it reminds me of the O.J. Simpson DNA thing. You can put a DNA sample on the ground and run it over with a car 5,000 times, it's not going to change it into O.J. Simpson's DNA. It's either O.J.'s DNA or it's not. And it's the same with this case. There's nothing I can do to contaminate a DNA sample that would cause 100 other samples to match my sample. Go ahead. This is something I can weigh in on, that if you look at the criminal type of DNA, versus this where you're actually trying to discover something mm-hmm. in the in the criminal side dna is circumstantial mm-hmm. just because somebody's just because somebody's blood are there or fluids there it doesn't actually place them there at the time this is completely apples and oranges and you're actually yes. right that you're at this point in time in in this kind of process the chain of evidence isn't as important as it is in a criminal case Correct, because yeah. somebody's going to be put away with that um, as a criminal action, and 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 you don't want usually a blood sample's been taken from your your suspect, and you don't want that blood sample that was taken in honesty to then be used to convict him wrongly. Right. And right. That, and that's not this. Nobody's on trial. Nobody's going to be convicted. And so, 
you know, it, it, to me, it doesn't make any sense. And and I don't know why he would be worried about that, you know. Right, because that's what that's what killed the O.J. case is when Van Adder put the vial of blood in his pocket and then went over to the crime scene. Right. <laughs> and that, that's what killed the case. It would make no difference here because yeah. we're not we're not trying to put this to a specific person or a specific place. We're just what? putting the question to it, what is it? But we well, gotta remember. I, we gotta re- oh, go ahead, Kathy. I'm sorry. Oh, what, what, what I got the impression that to me that would infer that what he's trying to say is that she's not honest, and that really all the samples came from one single source. I mean, mm-hmm. that's what it's implying. And mm-hmm. as a scientist, I'm willing to give her due diligence that she's yeah. an ethical person until right. shown to me otherwise. Oh, absolutely. I think that uh, you know, <laughs> you know, Dr. Melba has given it a go. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, she's doing the best she can. I mean, do we agree with everything she's done? Heck no. Has it kind of befuddled us? Absolutely. But it is what it is. But I don't think there's much chicanery going on here at all. Well, she's releasing a paper, and her results have to be reproducible. But uh, the other side of the skeptic argument, too, even though if we have a new type of primate, unknown uh, primate DNA, which is actually proven, we still don't have a type specimen. So you're, uh, even though it, <laughs> it could be, yeah, we have a new primate, but could it be a new spider monkey running around in North? Well, Alan Gaines chimed in on something that's very, very pertinent here, I think, is what if the Bigfoot evidence came from a bloody glove? <laughs> if it Actually, doesn't it'd be fit, very good. It'd be very strong DNA. That's right. If it doesn't fit... <laughs> Well, we are just about out of time. I want to thank oh, Kathy. No. I know it goes by fast when we have these great conversations. Uh, but I, I want to give uh, Kathy any words of advice to folks because I know the Bigfoot world is up in arms, and I, you know, I did my best to say, hey, just let's just wait to see what happens. Basically, yeah, that, that's my advice. Don't don't jump the gun and don't be, you know, making out your. Uh, guest bedroom for Bigfoot to come stay because he's a relative. You know, don't don't worry about it at this point. We don't have any information more than really what we had before. I mean, some of this stuff was rumors even uh, two, three years ago about what her study was going to say. So, you know, don't worry about it. I wouldn't be walking up to a skeptic and handing them crow or anything to that. That's <laughs> it. Just yeah, wait it I, out. You've waited this long, you can wait a little longer. That 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 was one of my points in my blog, too. Like, let's not give the, the, the fodder to the skeptics, because right now they have the upper hand, because the, 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 what they say is, that, well, this is not science, this is just a statement, and it's true. So. Well, and, and that's the, the other thing that I'd like to caution. The, the last word in this is going to be science. Mm-hmm. It does. It is not going to make one hoot of difference what a skeptic says or what a believer says. They have no power in this. It's the scientific community. If it makes it into a peer-reviewed journal, that's one hurdle. And then it's going to have other hurdles that it's going to have to jump. But they're the ones that are going to make the decision on if this is a species and what where we go from there. And so I don't know why people bother arguing with skeptics about anything because who are they? You know, they're anonymous. Okay complainers on the internet so what you know and until you know science has a say once science says yep this is real we got it this is what we're going to do then you can be a naysayer all you want to it's not going to change it well i'm going to leave it right at that kathy thank you so much for coming on tonight it's been wonderful talking with you again 
And um, folks, uh, this this is it for the show tonight. Catch us at our new time slot. Despite what the outro says, we're on Thursday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern. That's because I haven't had time to fix that yet. Uh, but, but we're on Thursday nights, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, SquatchDetectiveRadio.com, BlogTalkRadio.com forward slash Squatch Detective for the show. And, uh, you know, he disappeared, but I think I'm going to try to get Ken Gerhardt on next week, see if he's available. And, uh, folks, that's it for the night's show. Have a great week. God bless. And, of course, keep on. Thank you for listening to Squatch Detective Radio. Join us each week on Blog Talk Radio, Sundays at 9 p.m. Eastern, as your hosts, veteran Bigfoot researchers, Steve Culls and Chris Bennett, bring you guests from around North America, exploring the mystery of the beast known as Bigfoot.